0: If you've been keeping up with our Bobby Kennedy series, it's safe to assume that you love or at least take an interest in history. When Kevin and I set out to create a history podcast of our own, similar to most people starting something new, there were certain history podcasters that we admired and even sought to emulate our podcast after. Not so much topically, but more so in the way that these podcasters managed to weave the bare facts and details of history into this compelling narrative that didn't just feel like a stale lecture that was chock full of names and dates that you would forget immediately after listening to it we wanted to make a podcast that is engrossing to listen to that brings history to life and when it comes to those two things there are few who do it better than dan Carlin, who many rightly dub the godfather of history podcasting again as listeners to our podcast which is a history podcast i have to imagine that you've already come across dan Carlin in your travels in some way shape or form but if not Hardcore History is a definitely well worth a listen, and don't just take it from us. If you shake a tree full of history lovers, you're almost guaranteed to have at least two Dan Carlin fans drop out at any given point, point. and in this case, two of them will be joining me on today's show. What you're about to listen to is episode one in a series of shows that will be released alongside every new episode of Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, because as much as Kevin and I love talking about history... We also love getting the chance to be fanboys of a favorite show of ours that inspired us and so many other history podcasters out there. So join us as we rant and rave about the newest episode of Dan Carlin's Hardcore History called Twilight of the Aesir. Enjoy the show.
1: Good morning, class. For today's history lesson, we're going to talk about someone very important. The President of the United States of America. Now, I'm sure a lot of your parents have told you that maybe one day you'll grow up to be the President. I want to let you know right now that that is a lie. Not one of you in this class will ever be President.
0: All right, so I'm here with two special guests to talk about Dan Carlin's return from hibernation. He put on an episode called Twilight of the Aesir. One of the guests you've heard before, he was on our National Parks episode, it's Cowbell Pokes. You also know him as Chris. And then our Dan Carlin expert in residence, Mike, is here as well. So I got to say, guys, it's been a long time since Dan Carlin's put out an episode. Um, if my iPod serves me correct, it's been almost a year, March 6th. Um, I even have a coworker of mine, a history teacher, who, when I told him that there was a new Dan Carlin, he told me, uh, didn't he die? But I told him he didn't. <laughs> he was just in hibernation, and uh, he came roaring back with a series. So how do we feel about that, a new series? Because last time we got one of the Blitz episodes, which I'm a big fan of. They're usually a lot longer. They cover one topic on a prolonged series, and that one was about slavery rebellions, which was pretty interesting. But um, starting a series about vikings taking a step back in time how do you guys feel about that because i think the last what was it like two three years he was doing the um supernova in the east right about the japanese military during world war ii so for me personally i was kind of hoping that he would go back in time a millennia or so
2: yeah i mean it's it's always christmas morning right when you when you find out that he releases one no matter what the topic is
1: it's dan carlin right
0: that's exactly what i say yeah if you're a history fan christmas comes twice a year in the form of a podcast from dan
1: yeah, when you texted in the group chat, like, I knew Dan Carlin's out. I was like,
0: oh my God, oh my God, oh my God.
1: Mike, <laughs> Mike you've been re-listening, you wait, you were
0: going to ask him about uh, painting his office re-listening to uh, Supernova. Yeah, that was gonna be my first question. For you. So yeah. how did you, yeah, before we even get into Twilight of the Ace here, how did your office turn out? Because I can only imagine what kind of a soundtrack uh, Supernova in the East was for you as you painted your office. Yeah, it was did you, great. Did you find some some uh, quotation marks in your brushstrokes? strokes?
1: <laughs> I should have in hindsight, but I didn't. No, my, my office just needed a, a new coat of paint. I I don't think we ever changed the color. It was like all, like this horrible like yellow color. Even on the windowsill, like everything was yellow. And I just got sick of it and I want to reconfigure my office. And I was like, I don't want to pay someone to paint. I could just kind of do it in a weekend. And I thought it was just going to take a long day, but turned out to basically take 14 and a half hours all told to oh It was wow. so long. Just yep. enough
0: time to listen to two Dan Carlin. Yeah, like I,
1: it literally took almost well. Usually his podcast series are between you know twenty and thirty hours. So yeah, that's that's how I got through the uh, Supernova in the East one.
0: Because I'm trying to imagine, I, I've never painted a full room. I imagine like painting the corners can probably be a little bit tedious. That's but the most. The long stretches yeah. can probably be calm, maybe zen, even a little meditative. But then to have Dan Carlin saying, and then Douglas MacArthur walked across the bed. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just can't imagine that is like. Something that goes that, that will enable that process to be a, uh, a meditative process for you. I can yeah.
2: picture it with the long rollers, just
0: like, yeah, uh, going, going
2: with the rhythm of the
0: quote. That's true. Yeah. If you can end quote just at the end of a yeah. roller stroke, that's perfect. Yeah. It <laughs> happens every time, I think.
2: But it is always uh, so exciting because you know, then you're just going to have something to listen to, re listen to, and uh, get into probably something you have really no idea about.
0: Yeah, and something interesting with this one too, he very rarely does product placement, but he, this was a continuation, I believe, of a series that he did called, uh, what was it, Thor's Angels? Mm-hmm. I believe so. I'll have to check that out at some point too, so that we have a little more context going into part two of the show in six months. But what did you guys think of this show? What were your impressions? Five hours, 11 minutes, he came back for sure.
2: This this That's is a big a, one. Yeah, definitely one to re-listen to. So many names and names of groups that you've never really heard of before, and trying to piece that all together. in imagining mean, the five hours rapid-fire quotes. I mean, descriptions of things. And and you, you know, I always come out of a Dan Carlin episode with just you know seven to ten things that I really remember that stick with me. Whether it was like descriptions of things or overarching themes. If you can't you can't figure it all out, you have to re-listen.
1: Yeah, I mean, every time—excuse me—every time I listen to Dan Carlin's any series, even if even if it is just a blitz, I always listen to it multiple times. Like the Blueprint for Armageddon, the World War I One one, he did. they did it 2014, 15, 16, I think. Yeah, I probably listened to that at least five or six times at this point. But what I like is every time you look back on it, you always pick up something new that you missed on the first go around. Because I mean, you can't. It's hard to intensely listen for five straight hours about every single facet. Like you know, your mind wanders, but you always pick up on interesting things. So I'm definitely gonna have to listen to this one again a couple more times. Yeah. I've done it twice, but yeah, <laughs> definitely a bit more.
2: I had to break it up over a few days, and you mm-hmm. can't. It's it's hard to crush a five hour episode straight do, unless you're. I don't know. You'd have to be doing unless something. you're painting your office. Pa- yeah, painting right. your office. I guess right, right. But I did love the, the Viking choice. I mean, it's something I really don't know much about, and I feel like on. Underspoken about, I guess, in history and For mainstream sure. history, I guess, that we're taught.
0: Yeah, I think the Vikings get a lot of coverage. I think a lot of it tends to be stereotypical. A lot right. of it can be historically inaccurate, but. Like that, whenever. Yeah, show. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I haven't seen yeah. it to be fair. But whenever but it, it looks, looks hard, like that. <laughs> are you talking about Vikings uh, Valhalla or History Channel's Vikings?
1: Oh, that's. I, honestly, I thought they were one in the same. I thought Netflix picked
0: it up. um, Because Vikings Valhalla is a sequel to History Channel's Vikings. Oh, okay. I watched most of History Channel's Vikings and then the first season of Vikings Valhalla. I like them both. I think they try to capture the Viking aesthetic. They're not entirely historically accurate. And the further you get into the show, the less historically accurate it gets because they're trying to crunch a lot of people into a fixed time frame when actually a lot of these people lived centuries apart from each other. But they kind of have to do that for the sake of the narrative. And Is I don't
1: think he mentions that in here. Yeah, and I,
0: Vikings happens. Valhalla I liked, but I had an issue with it just because it was like these people are way too hot to be Vikings. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, Vikings so it does, are grungy. It, 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 it doesn't work for me. Like you have perfectly white, straight teeth, beautiful smile, six pack abs, hairless chest. <laughs> you you are not a Viking, my friend. No. <laughs> but I funny. thought Dan Carlin started the, the episode strong. I, I liked that quote that he gave that Stalin <laughs> allegedly said. Uh, where Sir said the pope how many divisions does he have i'm not sure how did that relate to the show um did that wind up relating to the fact that um like these monasteries were always safe because people never attacked them because they didn't want to risk their spirit like or their soul going to hell in the afterlife but the vikings just didn't care so they were pagans so made them like was that is that i wasn't sure how that quote tied in that was the only something along the line like the pope because i love the quote
1: yeah, no, I know, I remember exactly what it was, because right when he said Stan, I was like, how does this translate?
2: Yeah, but, I mean... Uh, no, go ahead. That's how he started out, was kind of describing those original raids as just being easy cherry-picking. Uh, I mean, it wasn't even raid. There was no resistance, you know? The classic image that he was describing of the uh, the monks fighting the Vikings with uh, their crosses, I mean... Yeah. You know, that That's what they had to deal with. It wasn't much.
1: Yeah. I think the Pope thing was like, whether it was Charlemagne or some other figure in the in the series like he got power whatnot and the pope blessed it but he didn't really have that much power and i think that's kind of why he mentioned the stalin thing because yeah the pope is very famous and whatnot but when you know it comes down to brass tax he doesn't have any military so he's not that powerful that's kind of what that's how i interpreted it okay
0: yeah yeah so to touch on that thing that you had said about the paintings or whatever with the Monks defending themselves with with crosses against Vikings just coming at them with axes. It's it's interesting how a lot of these historical things that we took for granted for so long, like the raid at Lindisfarne being the first Viking raid in the West, might not have even been the case. They're still kind of figuring that out. Yeah, and, and one of one of his sources, I was was definitely really legit. The, the Children of Ash and Elm. I've I've read that book, but. On the same token, it, it was—it's interesting because the guy who wrote it is—he's a historian, but what he covered was a lot of archaeological stuff, and he somehow managed to make the Vikings boring. So I was glad that Dan Carlin didn't stick with that book the whole time because that book just astonished me. Um, I listened to audiobooks a lot of times when unfolding laundry, and I was just. In my laundry room, folding laundry, astonished at listening to a book about Vikings and being bored. (laughs) Like the guy didn't really touch on much of the sagas. He didn't go super in depth about a lot of the sources that we get from the enemies of the Vikings, which I think is a lot of what we hear about the Vikings from their enemies. So,
2: Right. And that forms our perspective on them kind of because right, the Christian world sort of took over in the end. Yeah. And those roots of it.
0: Yeah. And that was an interesting Thanks to Charlemagne. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that whole thing was interesting too, about how once Charlemagne was gone, things really divided up. And just that idea of how an empire that was as strong as Charlemagne, I mean, Charlemagne being the biggest ass kicker on the block, as soon as he was gone, a lot of the force behind his empire was gone too. Yeah,
2: decentralization.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right. And then you get into that whole discussion of, I think it was when they were doing raids on like the Irish coast and there was all these kingdoms just infighting and the Vikings were just easily just taking over kingdom after kingdom. And cause none of them were banding together against the Vikings, even though everyone knew, Hey, the Vikings are a problem, but they were too proud and uh, just infighting to, to even uh, push back. It was a uh, easy cherry picking for them in the beginning because of that decentralization.
0: And that's why I thought it was a really good connection that Dan Carlin makes. I know he even said in the episode that he's addicted to making these analogies, where he compared the early Viking raids not as military operations, but stuff that you would see in perhaps a police blotter. Yeah, how, that was almost how it yeah, was reported yeah. at the time. Right. They would they would come, they would hustle some people, they would they would kill some people, rape some people, steal some people, and enslave them, or, or sell them later. Take a lot of stuff and then go. And it was it was more like a robbery, it's more like gang activity compared to later.
2: Yeah, it was that hit and run. You could get in and out and there was no communication. How long it took to tell everyone the Vikings are here. It's Paul Revere, you're riding your horse if he had one. Not many even they even said that not many of them had horses back then. Yeah. Right? Up there. I mean the
1: Vikings didn't. It was interesting too when he mentioned that sometimes they have or they pay the Vikings off. Almost kinda of, I think he did mention the kind of like being in the mob, how like you like you're forced to pay someone off. But he mentioned too that like we You know being that over a thousand years past this kind of look at that like well that's dumb because then they came back eventually and did the same thing or worse to you later on but that perhaps might have been 100 200 300 years after they made the deal so like for them it was a good deal but when we look at it you know if you could have 300 years of somewhat peace you know versus all these raids and what have you you know i think that's a you can consider that a win Right, and how about Dan talked about the whole economy of raids
2: that was created, and and uh, Ryan before the podcast, we were talking about that that stat of I think it was fourteen percent of the entire like Frank currency of that time period was purely used to pay off Vikings. Like it was built into the into the economy of of like the kingdom. It's it's incredible just how much impact it had, yeah, financially. And Mm -hmm. how about how like uh, the raids that they of the vikings the reach of them and uh the trade systems you could tell by uh how Dan was talking about they thought fi- they would find um the gems that you could only get in mm-hmm. the northern part of india but they're finding them in these like scandinavian areas it's yeah. like how connected these these trade routes were back in 800 900 700 i mean that's wild yeah and how far they went yeah you, know? you mentioned
1: probably since neanderthals were yeah, it was trading. It wasn't so. It wasn't such like a segregated system. It was very much. You know, people did trade with each other
0: quite often. And it was interesting that idea of Vikings as traders or raiders or both. And and there was that funny quote I thought where uh, he said if you were to ask of like a lot of Vikings would would have probably been perplexed if you were to ask them are are you a trader are you a raider which which one are you they would probably just say well yes. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, right. They didn't have a distinction.
0: So it's kind of interesting that cross pollination of cultures that the Vikings initiated with a lot of, lot a lot of different civilizations all over the, the globe through violence. He did yeah.
1: mention too that it was like some Vikings were like sixty percent raiders and forty percent traders and vice versa. Some were more skewed toward the trading part. Some were more skewed toward the, the raiding part. But to your point, like it's kind of like they <laughs> everyone does both. It's just kind of part of life. And they had just that x factor of being Vikings like they they were feared you'd plant in the spring, go and raid, and then come back until yeah, so harvest on. was ready, and yeah, it's just kind of part of life. It is crazy just to think how society's changed since then, but and like how most of the vast 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 majority of the the world operates on but yeah, it's just it's crazy to think that that, that was a thing. That imagine for thousands and thousands of years.
2: Imagine if fourteen percent of the American economy was spent to fighting off people literally just on the shores, just trying to you know come to New York City and yeah. you know Saks Fifth Ave just, just snatch grabbing Zach, and Saks like Fit. you know <laughs> stealing people like off the streets and just like we have to defend against them or pay them off. And <laughs> the
1: yeah, Bible. like think of that, but modern times. Right. Yeah, it's just crazy
0: yeah i mean ri- i mean back. rich people in America probably still wouldn't pay their taxes, but <laughs> yeah. that would be pretty frustrating for the the average taxpayer yeah.
2: I guess we do spend uh, a big bulk big bulk of our economy des uh, stabilizing other countries. I guess that's kind of a comparison I don't
0: know. <laughs> well yeah i mean that's yeah. just that's just america yeah.
1: right 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 but how about the- America's kind of the modern day charlemagne <laughs> <laughs>
2: How about uh, speaking of uh, the paying off when I think it was Odin took power because he was he was so pissed that the other guy was paying off the Vikings and then he was just like eh, I'm gonna pay off the Vikings. Oh, uh, <laughs> like, yeah. come count, on. count Odo. Yeah, come on, count Odo. Like you're a little hippie. Right, right? Right when Nicole. he said
1: that, count Odo. That sounds yeah, like someone. It's in Star Wars.
2: Wars yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's yeah. in Star Wars. Yeah, for sure.
0: But it's always <laughs> interesting hearing about these rulers that can really take it to the Vikings. They they figure out like all right, well they're. Navigating the river system. Okay, then we'll fortify the bridges. They're climbing up our walls with ladders. Okay, we'll we'll throw boiling hot oil and yeah. tar down on them so that their skulls
1: split. Yeah, exploded. I had, he said. I had, yeah, no, right? I had n- like
0: I had no idea that that could happen to you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I've like in watching shows and documentaries about Vikings, I've certain and even just that's medieval warfare. I mean, I've seen that done, just dumping that stuff on people climbing up a ladder trying to trying to mount the wall, but uh, I didn't know that it could do that to your skull. That's quite terrifying. Right, yeah.
2: right. And how about the rulers who <laughs> were not quite so good at, uh, you know, fighting the Vikings and their names, and they were just absolute wimps. I mean, their literal names were wimps, you know. Oh, King the, George the Fat. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, well, yeah, it, it not, got ridiculous. Not the flattering balls. adjectives. The ball, the, ball yeah. the fat,
0: the stout, the simple. Yeah. How about just yeah. like, you know King George? The, the dork.
2: Simple. yeah, the simple, like it's, the idiot. Yeah, rough. Sim- <laughs> yeah. I mean it's your king. And you know? compare it
0: to like Ragnar Lothbrok, Ivar the Boneless, Bjorn Ironsides, <laughs> the Vikings coming after you. I mean, those are just terrifying names for terrifying people. Even Rolo, they didn't talk about Rolo, but Rolo's pretty interesting. He was this Viking allegedly apparently who landed somewhere in Northern France and just stayed there. And he raised yeah. so much health. They were like, all right, let's make you a Christian. Let's make you a Lord. And how about you fight the people that do the rating that you used to do? And he was like, cool, <laughs> I will. <laughs> and so that's where the roots of a lot of the Norman people came from. is this guy Rolo.
2: Yeah. But the, speaking of him staying, that was one of the points Dan was making towards uh, the end of the episode that that was Starting to become the downfall of the Vikings, they lost that edge of the snatch and grab type thing because they started settling in, in these areas near the people that they were stealing from and keep murdering and, and, and
0: getting involved in the politics and yeah, stuff like that and yeah. hiring themselves out as mercenaries. Yeah, you weren't this mysterious like that.
2: yeah, you weren't this mysterious enemy that you've they come from faraway lands anymore and they come once a year, you know, and you're just fearing them, don't know when they're coming. They're right there. They're your neighbor now and then you can band together and you know the politics like you said it changed everything that was ultimately sort of when that uh their power uh for the few hundred years started to come to an end
0: and it seemed like that's where a lot of these leaders really got put to the test because now it wasn't just these were people who would show up on your shores every so often unexpectedly but these were your neighbors now and right. you had to find ways to deal with that and for sure they would always make those dirty deals where it was like all right you pay us and we won't attack you and will actually defend the people who are going to attack you, and then they meet up with the people who are going to attack them, and are like, "Hey, they paid us. Let's split this, and we'll both attack them and take more." Yeah. <laughs> like there's, there's just oh. it seemed like there was never making a good deal with them, at least in some of these encounters. <laughs> yeah, no, no,
2: yeah, it's a lose-lose situation, right?
0: There was that one. There was a couple threats that I put down that I thought were pretty badass. There was that one, if you remember, I forget the exact language of it, but I think it was recounted by some clerk in a court in a king's court or something like that where a viking leader came and just said hey my army needs to pass through your lands. we would like to seek your permission to do so and the king was like all right well look let's flip the script Uh, if i were to be asking you to pass through your kingdom would you say yes and he was like fuck no like i'd rather have my head cut off but uh if you don't we'll burn your lands, burn your crops down kill your people put everybody else under siege and you'll all die of hunger so your choice (laughs) <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah. is it's is like, good. oh, okay. And then I think earlier on, I don't know if this was um, with those early like Germanic tribes that Charlemagne was dealing with, with, with the missionary who was like, "Hey, look, Led you one? could." Was it him where where How he? do you get these names, guys? Where he was? <laughs> was it him where he was saying, "Hey, guys, look, there's this guy named Jesus. If you believe in him, your soul will go to heaven. You'll be in paradise forever. It'll be great. You'll love it. But if you don't." You'll have a king that's that's not the guy who will put you in paradise forever. He's a guy named Charlemagne, and uh, he'll come here and he'll conquer you and he'll enslave you and he'll kick your ass and it'll suck. Yeah, that some of those some of those early missionaries had some balls. I, yeah, I, I, I okay. got I gotta say
1: it was Lebwin was the guy that would, you know, say there would be like some tree that was a very like extremely religious relic or something that they would pray to. They would just go and cut it down as if it was any other tree and then start spewing that um, information like to these tribes of people, also without any weapons. So they'd just be, they'd just yeah, be destroying. Something. Yeah, mm.
0: absolutely insane. And I guess with, without having, a ton, having like a ton of knowledge about this, it's a win-win for them because if they chop down the tree and the so-called savages wind up coming to the table and converting, it's a win. But if they get murdered horribly, it's also a win because they're a martyr, and right. then they could potentially become a saint down the line.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: what a wild world.
0: Yeah, it's 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 really hard to imagine. I mean, I I don't want to go too much into talking about history channels the Vikings, but there were okay. certain sequences in the show that I thought were really great, and one of them was the early raid at Lindisfarne because you see the monks, and they they of course really make the scene very dramatic, because it's a stormy night, there's there's thunder, there's lightning, <laughs> has to be. there's there's monks that are already for some reason reading darker parts of the Bible about about the devil and things like that. And then of course, they see the ship illuminated by a strike of lightning with the dragon head, and they don't know what it is. And of course, it's the, the heathens and they come ashore and start murdering them and stuff like that. But there's this great, great moment in the episode where the monks have barricaded themselves in the church and of course the vikings just burst in and they were expecting some sort of a fight but they see all these guys with weird haircuts robes and no weapons who have these books that they're clutching but they're surrounded by gold that doesn't seem super important to them and they just both look at each other because they've never encountered each other and neither one knows the other's intention and i'm trying to imagine what we could possibly compare that to you know, like we can never truly put ourselves in the shoes of those people unless we're thinking about a literal alien, right? Yeah. Mm. Seeing a literal alien. I mean, even if, like, even if Lindisfarne wasn't the first encounter, I mean, we were living in a time where there were certain people who had never, obviously, weren't in a fully connected, like, globalist world in the way we are
1: now. Yeah, there's probably yeah. only a couple of islands, like maybe off the coast of India or you know, the New Guinea area, that.
0: Right, there's that one touched. right where that missionary guy right. tried to go to, and they yeah, killed him. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, was, yeah,
1: but there, I mean, how 99.99% of you know the people, you know, know you, there's others out there. Yeah, the missionaries have balls. They they're they're always just
2: going to the most insane places, and
0: yeah, you know. but it's hard to imagine how scary it was being on the end of one of these Viking raids. Not terrifying.
2: Oh my god! And they just come out of nowhere. You know, yeah, it's not one of those things where you have a warning. You know, yeah they just are all of a sudden there. You know, like I think Dan was describing the scene, like before you know it, like you wake up in the middle of the night and half that the town is already on fire. They're coming for you. You know, there's no escaping.
1: Yeah, in that case, it's really just of the draw of where you are, where you live, where you stay. I mean... Yeah, it's pirate's life for me out there, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I think he was saying there were certain towns and things like that that had moved or certain groups of people who had changed their behavior because of these raids just becoming such a daily... Or at least yearly by yearly thing right yeah it reminds me of a bug's life you're gonna have to walk me through that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah really. you guys yeah. remember
2: bug's life uh so the, of course the do. hopper great movie so yeah so eventually the, the ants just like save up all of their stuff and they pay off the uh to pay off the grasshoppers every year it's kind of like that yearly thing they know oh, it's, it's I see kind you, of, see. you know what i mean yeah
0: that's a good analogy that is that is a good connection i think
2: i love pixar i think that's where their head was at (laughs) with the bugs
0: life well i always go back to that scene this is a
2: lot like the vikings
0: (laughs) but i always go back to that scene like whenever like if i were to ever teach about how authoritarianism works or systems of government that are very suppressive of people and allow for little little freedom little individual choice that scene where hopper is talking to his fellow grasshoppers about why you can't let just one ant stand up to you. Do you remember that scene? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> so, so good. Of course. If one of them stand up to us, they all stand up to us. Right,
2: yeah. That was something. Yeah, I think that was after the, the goofy grasshopper uh, knocked all of their acorns out of their uh, storage or something. And then Hopper got real pissed on him.
0: Well, yeah, because I think he threw he threw one of them at him, and he's he's like, "Does that hurt?" And they're like, "No." And he throws another one. Does that hurt? No. What are you kidding? That doesn't hurt. And then he hits all of them, and they all yep, get like yep. hit with them. And he's like, "If one of them stands up yep. to us, they all stand up."
2: Yep, classic, classic. Yeah, I
0: watched that movie not that long ago, and I got to say the the animation. Is a lot less high tech than I remember. Like it actually looks a little bit creepy. Yeah, it was incredible back in the day. Yeah. You're like, Oh my no, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh. Using the, using like leaves as gliders and stuff like yeah. that. And yeah. I'm yeah. sure
2: Pixar could remake these in higher depth, You know.
0: What's sad is students don't know about a bug's life. You bring that up, they don't
1: know. Yeah, but it's, that's also the idea they don't that's know every these generation. kids nowadays. Yeah, like, they never heard of *Leave It to Beaver*. What do you mean?
0: It's true. It's, like, you know, it's true. Andy Griffith's show. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, speaking of things changing, I, I, I think it's funny too, because you, I mean, we, we do tend to think of the Vikings in just one way. And then that's, I think that's a lot of what Neil Price tried to push against in the Children of Ash and Elm by saying, look, these people did do a lot of raiding, but there was also this vibrant culture at home. They, they weren't just solely savages. There was other things that were going on besides the boats going out and killing people and then coming back with gold but it's funny to think of the people who live in those countries now compared to the people who live in to that in them back then like i think about the governments of norway denmark i, I got a little bit of Sweden in me myself like yeah, aren't they the most chill governments most chill people and then you think about back in the day those things the, the, the horror shows that they would put on in order <laughs> to intimidate their enemies like what was the one like they within sight of the castle walls hung like
1: yeah. a couple
0: hundred people oh. i mean the the process of torturing and killing someone with that blood eagle process I mean did you guys oh, get that yeah, I where you cage yeah where lungs. you go behind them and you chop out the the ribs and you take the lungs out I mean that was another yeah, thing that, butterfly then yeah that was another thing that they they did show on, on history channels Vikings that really just encapsulated the the brutality
2: yeah it kind of reminds you of like the scalping type thing yeah it's just it's just pure pure brutality for like in mm-hmm. in aggression yeah
0: yeah I mean not to get too broad and romantic here, but I guess there's just no true way to say that humans are (laughs) wholly good or wholly evil. I I think it's just down to like the level of intelligence that we have, and it can be put to great good or great evil. I mean, even just watching uh, Netflix's, I highly recommend this one too, uh, Rise of Empires Ottoman, the second season, uh, Mehmet versus Vlad, Vlad the Impaler. Just... That whole process of impaling someone, too. I mean, people can think of the most screwed up ways of torturing each other. Yeah. I mean, even I watched Zero Dark Thirty recently. I mean, even that, like, that was wild,
2: too. Right. But it reminds me of, you know, Dan's whole conversation of the X Factor of the Vikings. That brutality, it instills a fear in your enemy. And you go into the battle already losing. And, you know, classic boxing analogy he throws out there whoever it was if I fought Mike Tyson he like he said he lost the fight before he went in the ring because it was just yeah. you you already knew it was over because you were so scared you saw what happened before to others you saw the power and the brutality and the fearlessness and and
0: you know all that and and you have to take into consideration that of course these are heinous acts but um they were done for a strategic purpose in order to accomplish that objective of ovens, of making it so that when those people came out to fight you, they had lost their edge because you had done something to, to demoralize them. Yeah, morale's huge. And of course, with Vlad the Impaler, I mean, he was a guy that lived in a country that was in between, I believe, a Christian country and a Muslim country, and both were trying to get him to pick sides. And so he,
2: go he, 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 he had to
0: do horrifying things so that people would think, all right, I can invade that guy. I could probably kick his ass, but if I lose... I could wind up with a spike up my ass that comes uh, out my uh, shoulder or throat. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I so. mean, there's something to say for a long time of history of just being pure evil is it's going to get you far. I mean, it makes you think of, uh, what is it? Tillahan? I mean, yeah. all just.
0: Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Alexander. the great- Yeah. I mean, you still have mm-hmm. fear. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, how about, uh, The uh, bring your own gear battles that he was talking about.
0: Yeah. That was another great analogy.
2: Yeah. I mean, imagine just you're called to fight, like, you know, just because you live in an area. What do you got? You know, imagine nowadays someone's got their AR 15. One guy's got a Hummer with like something. Some crazy idiot has got a a bazooka. (laughs) No. So, yeah, some poor guy's got a catcher's mask and a (sighs) knife. You know, (laughs) what are we bringing here? You know, who are you? But back in the day, you know, is it just, literally sticks like and sharp sharpen sticks to axes to you got chain mail and swords like it runs the gambit right it right. makes me think of like Braveheart and things like that and just like you're making this to, yeah. con-
0: to contrast that and i apologize for not knowing any specific names of these european groups or anything like that I'm, i'd have to listen to the episode again but then there was that whole other avenue of a village creating a soldier right that whole thing where it was like all right, we're all going to, if you own this much land, you have to provide a soldier to fight and everybody has to make sure that that soldier has what he needs to go out on the battlefield. And just how much went into a, a coat of chainmail. I mean, I think we watched things like Game of Thrones or just anything set, any, any, anything with knights and just think of, oh yeah, chainmail shirts. Of course they had that. But what went into making things like that was was a lot
2: yeah yeah oh yeah back in the day, yeah for sure, I think uh, he was saying, uh, to get a set of chain mail and a helmet, it was uh like way more than a sword and a shield. You could get a bunch of swords and shields for one helmet or something like that. The protection
1: there mm-hmm. was crazy that you needed. He said it was so important. He said three blacksmiths <clears throat> working on like the chain linked i guess chest shield or whatever it took like eighteen months to make Oof. yeah
2: yeah i said so no wonder that who's getting, getting it wait who yeah who's who's, who's oh, getting yeah, that you course. know and who's getting really actually fighting who knows
0: and i think of my sometimes i put i think we all do it sometimes i think of myself in those scenarios and if this whole village had come together and i was the guy that was fighting and they had provided me with a nice sword and that's a nice helmet working hard with this chainmail, and i'm the idiot that shows up and I'm the first guy to catch an arrow in the throat, just die. (laughs) Some Viking takes my nice uh, coat of chain mail. I I always imagine that would be me. (laughs) You just want to go out quick. No, that's not what I want, but that's just what would happen.
2: (laughs) You're the first to die in a horror movie too, you think?
0: Oh, I have no no idea. I mean, I've watched so many. I like to think that uh, there are certain things that I wouldn't do, but I also don't think that real life would work like a horror movie. It's like that guy could commercial
2: head
1: for the cemetery. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's hide
2: in this uh, area with all these chainsaws hanging from the ceiling.
0: Some topics that I'm hoping that he goes into though, in the next episode, whenever that comes out are, I mean, I know he mentioned the Dane law at the end of the episode, which uh, I believe just to sum that up is when people in Was it England? We're finally just like, all right, like you can have your land. This is your land. We'll we'll agree on this. It's fine. You guys will live here. Just don't cause any trouble. And hopefully we'll slowly convert you to Christianity, presumably. Um, Because I know that later on in history, at least according to Vikings Valhalla, uh, they wind up violating that treaty and uh, attacking the Dane Law. And then that triggers another big war and everything. So I'm, I'm hoping he goes more into that because that whole aspect is interesting. But also the ruse, because we we have, at least in my view of what I've learned and been exposed to, we have this narrow view of the Vikings just being this Western phenomenon that you don't think about the fact they were all over the place, including the East. And at least according to the episode, the Vikings in the East didn't have it as easy as the Vikings in the West.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're in Russia. roots, <laughs> right? Those basically Russia well,
0: yeah, I mean, the, what, the weather was probably yeah. a lot less accommodating, but uh, yeah. I think there was also a lot more established civilizations there that could mount tougher right. armies that there there was a little bit more centralization as opposed to the decentralization that we were talking sure. about in the West.
2: Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, but the end of the episode was kind of the uh, foreshadowing the end of the Vikings.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess we'll see because from some of the Viking history, I know like, there are still some pretty famous names that have yet to... To, so show, to show themselves. Right. Yeah.
2: Right. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Because uh, I know you. with
0: Ragnar Lothbrok, I mean, there's, of course, debate as to whether or not he even was a thing. But um, he's definitely credited with a lot of the earlier successes of the – and as far as like a guy who really filled out the ideal, uh, the ideals of the culture. I mean, he was that guy. But um, there are other ones. Um, oh, shoot. I, I mean, we haven't heard from Eric the Red yet. We haven't heard from Leif Erikson. We, we haven't heard Erickson. from um, uh, Harold something. Um, Harold Sigurdsson we haven't heard from yet. I mean, there are still some big names. So I'm curious as to how long he'll go with this series. Because I wasn't getting this that same impression that, that it seemed like the Viking Age is coming to an end at the end of the episode.
2: Really? Okay. Interesting. Well, we'll see how it goes in the next one.
0: I mean, I'll have to see. I mean, it was... Obviously, it's always a pleasure listening, but it was a long episode. It took me all week to listen. And yeah. I don't want to say I was limping to the finish line, but I was like, all right, I I made it.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. I wasn't even uh, expecting a second episode. I was kind of disappointed towards the end. And then all of a sudden, he said there was going to be one. I was like, oh, okay, great. This kind of was kind Formally, of good. I was thought there was something missing here.
1: Normally, he prefaces the episodes with, you know, what you're about to hear is part one or part two or part three. And the fact that he didn't have that, you know to chris's point i didn't know that there was going to be a part two until the very end yeah but we'll see where he goes with it yeah i do
2: like it it was a, it was a surprise i i'm i I'm, was I'm surprised how interested i actually was listening to it i thought i might uh you know get a little bit bored, but it really is it was, it was cool i liked it
0: i wasn't surprised at all i gotta say the vikings are evergreen to me i'd never get sick of hearing about them i just look to hear more things that are true about them that aren't true because i think it's a lot easier to run into the romanticization of them even some of the the racist stuff that has been ascribed to that uh race of people and stuff like that
2: i just hadn't known i guess it's something where you know so little about something you're like oh i guess You, you stereotype it just like from what you said
1: yeah because there's even some things that he said that you know maybe this happened we don't know some people think it did some people didn't so it's not like a definitive history like say well, World War One or World War II, where we like have very well documented whether it's paper or video, like back in the Viking Ages not a whole heck of a lot of people were even
0: literate enough to put stuff down. Yeah, and I think a lot of what we got did come from their enemies as well, which gives you a very biased perspective and I don't know, it it's an interesting way to try and uncover history. I mean, I don't envy the people that try to do it, but I'd be curious to see what that process looks like up close of having to rely on things like the sagas, which might as well, at least from my understanding of them, in a sense, be like trying to uncover what's going on in ancient Greek history by reading the Iliad. Oh, yeah, interesting. I see what you're saying. And then, and then trying to weigh that side by side with archaeological digs where it's like, okay, this stuff is concrete this stuff is here it's undeniable but what does it mean what what context does it add to what we already know or what does it what does it lighten up that we don't know
2: yeah, yeah. right yeah because it, part of it seems like mythical you know? and i guess
0: that was one of the highlights of of the children of ash elm because he did talk about a lot of the the digs and what what they uncovered
1: right and they keep finding stuff yeah he kept saying like the dates go back further and further, you know. The later and later we get, just because you know better technology and what have you. But yeah, it's fascinating. Can I imagine coming across a Viking artifact. Oh I know.
0: yeah, yeah, it'd be crazy. That would be cool. There was a lot of nice visualizations in this, though. I, I liked visualizing the Vikings just walking down the the roads that the Romans had laid down. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, not cool. not too long ago in their time, but. Just giving them uh giving them perfect access to just kind of navigate and uh you know raise hell and and get out quick you know you have a road
2: but, yeah exactly but it was interesting too they talk uh, I don't think we've talked about it yet, but how um, the women came with them to battle essentially and then they were just yeah like, just go back if you came fight. back injured and you weren't fighting like they would just be like get get the fuck back out on the battlefield you you, you know what are you doing back here instead of like tending to their wounds and giving them water it was sort of like that uh, dramat- dramatization of the uh, w- Viking women in, uh, I guess, these sources. <laughs> they would just literally just yell at them and be like, why are you back here? Like, you should be fighting. He's like, I, I'm stabbed. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah. And Germanic tribes did that as well. And it's, it's interesting because Carlin raised the question, would you fight? harder if your family was there because I, I think he, – was he saying that the Romans did this too or, did they, or was it the Greeks where the women would bare their breasts and say, hey, if you lose this fight, you can only imagine what they're going to do to us, you know, your wife and your children. But I can't remember. It might have been the I weeks. thought that was <laughs> – Imagine. I thought that was an interesting question though. I mean would you fight harder if your family was right there? I mean I I don't know. It's
1: just like – I guess it's just that question. like you know, Would you fight harder or would you work harder if you have more to lose – whether it's work related or what have you. I mean if you have more if you have more on the table and it's right in front of you, I feel like yeah, that would make you fight a little bit harder. But you I thought of fierce. You have that dad, yeah, that the dad instinct yeah. kicks in, you know. True. Dude, yeah. how scary are dads? Dude, imagine a Viking dad.
2: So scary. Twenty Viking dads coming
1: at you. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. That would be pretty Viking scary. dad strength? Imagine?
2: Wow. I guess it no. depends. No thank you. No thank you
0: just crushing a Miller light and coming at you with a great ass. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> one of freshly the, mowed long. One of the craziest things that I picked up on was, so say like a very high ranking, not Charlemagne-esque, but if someone like him passed away, it wouldn't go to their heirs or wouldn't go to the oldest son or what have you, but like their whole thing would just dissolve. And then some, some you know, they'd have to pick up from there. I found that really. Oh, like the Viking posses? Too.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Just a a power vacuum just gets filled,
0: which changes tactically how you would probably approach fighting them. Because yeah, we could take on your whole army, but if we could find a way to plant a spy or get an assassin in there and take yeah. the leader out. But then who? Knows? I mean, again, like this isn't an, an area of expertise for me because there was also that interesting part where he was talking about how you think about armies as of that time as look, you're conscripted you're you're in this if you try to desert we'll probably hang you even up to world war one we'll shoot you if you desert but these but these yeah but these vikings it was like yeah i'm heading out (laughs) or or a couple (laughs) or a couple ships would arrive and they're like yeah i I heard you guys are kicking butt and taking gold over here i i I want in let's do this yeah oh yeah come on join us
2: they were just part ways they're like that looks nice over there and someone one of the other ones like nah i'm gonna chill here
0: okay
2: like it was fine they were just like, you do you. We'll go this way. On a whim. Yeah.
0: As a D&D and d enthusiast and player, I think only Dan Carlin, though, could find a way to incorporate D&D into medieval warfare. And I thought he did it in a really interesting way by talking about the modifiers. Have you guys played D&D before? No. Damn, okay. So Sorry. So, depend- so depending on what class of character you play – you get certain modifiers, modifiers being a number that you add to your dice roll. That'll give you a certain edge. So say if you're a character that has a lot of oh, right. wisdom and you rolled something relating to wisdom, you could add a number to it because you're smarter. Okay. Right. Um, or if you're stronger, you could add a number to that role because that would sim- represent your strength. And the way he applied it to, I think it was like the, the religious ideologies of both armies on the field and talking about these people who, believed in Jesus and didn't believe in this afterlife where you would fight every day. And if you lived, you would eat at Odin's table. And if you died, you would just be reborn the next day and then you would fight again. And how like, how, how much more likely it would probably be for the army that's fighting that army to turn tail than the army who's getting rewarded if you die gloriously in battle. Right. And that almost acting as like a modifier to the way that they would fight and, and that how that would give them an edge in yeah. battle.
2: Yeah, yeah. That was an interesting... I, I did like that analogy. And he talked a few about a few other games too. That was cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, he always brings up wargaming and boxing. boxing.
2: Boxing is a yeah, classic and Dan Carlin he,
0: They did even do an addendum episode. Um, Dan Carlin also has a hardcore history addendum feed as well as a common sense one. So common sense is about contemporary politics ever since trump got elected president back in 2016 he doesn't really post that much in that one although i would love to get his take on trump nfts as would kevin were he here
2: <laughs> that um, was such a funny discussion I and, love then,
0: that. and we're still we're still waiting for uh for trump's people to get back on us about those designs definitely check out our holiday show if you want to hear about our our proposed trump nft designs
1: mike what are they going for nowadays you're a finance guy <laughs>
0: oh right right <laughs>
1: um that's too speculative for me to even venture into so i, I mean know. last i heard you're my were... advisor
2: that's good i'm <laughs> glad to hear that good.
0: last i, like I heard hear they were only 90 bucks which really isn't that much for a piece of digital art that you can say that you own but don't physically own yeah, I, god, god i guess thing, i guess man. kevin and i missed that though doing some kind of a trump viking nft mashup oh that could that could be like good A little
1: splash of robert kennedy
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess just to yeah, put our plug in there, yeah. Yeah. Gotta
1: plug it. We you
2: could
0: do an RFK
2: NFT. <laughs> yeah. That would work.
0: Oh man. I know a guy. Okay. We'll talk. I, I, I think the Kennedys are still doing alright as far as money's concerned though. They'll be okay. I don't know. They're kinda of cursed, man. Yeah, that is true. That is kind true. Of cursed. They've gotten shot a lot. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So Vikings. <laughs> Yeah, we got a little
2: side track. Yeah. No, I Honestly, I'm actually – I've exhausted my notes, so that's sad.
0: I mean I'm just sitting here hyped that we found a way to bring a bug's life into a discussion about Vikings. That, that's something I never would have seen coming. I'm quite proud
2: of my analogy. I
0: think uh, we were talking about Dan Carlin always talking about boxing. And so um, anyway, so yeah, his, his common sense feed, he talks about contemporary politics, addendum. He kind of views it as like, these are extra things that I'm interested in, and if you want to listen to it, you can, but Harco History is the main show, but this is stuff that I'm interested in. I view it as, hey, I'm sorry I'm not putting out a new episode. Here's something to tease you. That's kind of what it is for me. But he did put one out about boxing, where he just straight talked about boxing with the guy who put out a book about it. I don't know if you listened to no, that one. But listening to this episode in particular, uh, the Vikings episode, where he was talking about the the nuances of of trying to go to war with the vikings i really wonder if using more analogies with mixed martial arts like the ufc would perhaps give him more tools to use because i think with boxing and i don't want to trash anybody who boxes or is into boxing i mean there's a, there's certainly a lot to it but i think when it comes to different forms of martial arts there's perhaps a little bit more fruit for analogy
2: i would agree when you think those. about
0: it when it comes to talking about warfare if he loves to make these analogies so if Dan Conn is listening, as I'm sure he's not, maybe get into the UFC, I and think, maybe maybe think about um, using ground and pound analogies and things like that. Yeah, it's <laughs> bring funny. a little hammer fist into your yeah. history analogy game.
2: It's funny how the big history podcasters we know are are they do love fighting. You know, yeah, you also true. have Daniele Boelli. He's an MMA. You know, obviously, yeah. um, self. You know, well trained in MMA. Yeah, history on fire. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, Kevin and I are not. I think. Kevin and I, Kevin, I'll I'll speak for him. Um, he he did uh, jujitsu for a little bit, so we do have those. Bona, I did jujitsu for yeah, like a year and a half. We do have th- those bona fides, I guess, uh, from from Kevin. But uh, I don't think either of us would last very long in a fight. We're we're, hist- we're history podcast lovers, I guess, not fighters. <laughs>
2: you guys are gentle souls.
0: I guess so. I guess so. I think so. I've known you for a while. You just bury you just bury the rage, you know. Don't let it out like the Vikings did. <laughs> well, you've, yeah, yeah, you could let it out fun, you yeah. know. There's
2: good ways. Boxing, not track, just but like, but, by but, but yeah, yeah, but
0: yeah. Going back to boxing, I think even I don't, I'm not sure if it's an episode that came out yet, I, or I think it might have been one of the RFK Jimmy Hoffa ones where we even found ourselves making a boxing analogy. So. I, I, I wouldn't say that's so much the effect of boxing being a good thing to use as an analogy as much as it is the Carlin effect. So Maybe. I, think I did
2: draw I th- the boxing th- gloves in the, in the one art. Oh, yeah, yeah, right,
0: yeah, So yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was prolific,
2: yeah. so you can't hide behind it. You know? it, was, it was there.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, I guess that's just the effect that the, the godfather of history podcasting will have on you. I mean, Dan Carlin was doing it long before people knew what podcasting was, was going to become. Long yeah, before it blew up into amazing. anything, he just kind of put his voice, put his thoughts out there.
2: Yeah, he's amazing, for sure, for sure. Pioneering.
0: And something that will probably, at least I'll probably bring up in every episode of this every time we get together and talk about a Dan Carlin episode is how I just, re- I, it, it astonishes me. Even with his background in broadcast journalism and history, the fact that he, at least he claims to sit there with a couple pages of quotes and no script. And go. I would love and to be that see, lucid. Uh, Flying a wall just absolutely astonishing. I mean, I've heard him say that he'll go in the studio multiple days, upon days, upon days, to try to record the same thing. And some days it just won't work. But the fact that he just, in the end, comes out with it at all is is quite astonishing. I mean, I don't know if they wind up finding certain sections from certain days that worked really well and stitching them together, but it really doesn't sound like it. It sounds like he's yeah. just sitting there and talking the yeah. whole time. Yeah.
2: It literally sounds like five hours straight. He's, he's sitting there talking nonstop. Like yeah. he doesn't take a break. It, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. So if it's well editing or if he's just actually that much of a psychopath, you know, in the best way possible, mm-hmm. he, do, he can do that.
1: It's still, it's so awesome to listen to. He's like a very good storyteller. Maybe. Yeah. because like I know, like i like, I'm, I'm voice. not a great storyteller, mm-hmm. but some people are fantastic. Like regardless, it could be the most boring topic, but they just have a way of speaking, and it like cultivates you into it. He has that as well, for sure. Oh, for sure.
0: Yeah, I would have Dan Carlin read my shopping list, and it <laughs> would be your life. it would be compelling. Yeah. End quote. Third
1: of a pound.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Swiss. <laughs> <laughs> One bag of shredded Mexican cheese, one onion. End quote. <laughs> or read my text messages. <laughs> oh yeah. Quote: I'm on my way home. Might be a little late because there's traffic. End quote. <laughs> but I think they, I think they even acknowledge that in one of the uh, addendum or the uh, Ryan. I'm just teasing you because an episode is not coming out for three months. Episodes. Uh, addendum feed where uh, they were like, "Oh, you love hearing Dan Carlin read quotes? Well, yeah, <laughs> listen to this episode about uh about boxing because he he quotes a lot from this book."
2: I I don't stop doing it, Dan. I'll listen to as many quotes as you want to read.
0: He always seems like to it. find the good ones too. I, like I particularly enjoyed him reading the Douglas MacArthur quotes because I think that style that Douglas MacArthur would write in was really a nice fit for the way that he reads quotes.
2: Oh, for sure. sometimes it does feel like the style that i used to do when i would write lazy essays and just put a lot of block quotes with like a few comments in between
1: there are stretches for it sometimes like that but i do love it yeah it'd be like maybe like something and then and then so and so continues quote like yeah, he'll like it's a good it's a good stretch where
2: i'm yeah. like damn that would be yeah what i used to do sometimes when i needed a quick fix on a last minute essay <laughs> but they're also so good quotes so
1: I, I think I mean, I think he uses the quotes just because he loves those firsthand accounts, and firsthand accounts are like, well, yeah. they're yeah, very definition course. quotes. I, I I like them too because I always try to put myself into mm. their situations and be like, God, how would I vent? How would I be if it wasn't like you know, whether it's war, or the Viking raids, or what have you? Right, because he always uh, says a
2: lot of his goals to try to put you kind of in their shoes, like humanize the situation. Yeah. That's what I
0: think he does such a nice job doing. That. I was trying to think of a language to put it in to tell you guys. Like it's almost like he's able to give you an episode where he looks at history through a telescope and a microscope. You know, he gives you big picture, the big broad historical movements that take place over the course of decades, over the course of centuries, the things that are going on with kings, with military leaders, with important figures with these big time missionaries with the people who actually wrote down and reported on things but then also tries to ground you in the perspective of a person who could have very well have been you if you were born in that time period i mean i think he did the nice little device in this one what was that imaginary man's name that he had to start at the age of 8 just to kind of put on a timeline what mm-hmm. it was ethel like dan. yeah yeah ethel, yeah ethel dan that oh, <laughs> oh that's funny because his name is dan at the end uh, yeah ethel dan um who was eight and then he just went through the the timeline of the viking raids. i thought that was a very useful yeah. device and also a nice way to ground you in history which is 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 something that kevin and i struggle to do when it comes to talking about these political figures because who were they as as people what did what they do meant or sorry what did they do mean to like the people who would have been like us um it's 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 interesting and it's tough to kind of juggle both at the same time i think a lot of the history podcasts that i've listened to choose one or the other and he kind of rides a nice middle ground
2: what do you think the best sources are for you to find, try to get to that like types of sources
0: i think it's a mix um of reading at least as far as the bobby kennedy series goes it's a mix of reading just a straight biography about RFK, and then Kevin will read these like Oxford histories of the United States during certain time periods, and that'll teach you about the broad historical trends, but they also nest in personal accounts of things. I mean, with Vietnam, it's really easy because a lot of people are really opinionated about that, who were on the home front, who who served there, uh, people who the United States fought against, countries who were observing the conflict from the outside so yeah i mean this i think we got lucky with our first season because the 60s was a time where there were a lot of people who were vocal about a lot of things and they were people that were younger than us going out and right you know hitting the streets because they they believed in a cause
2: yeah grassroots stuff yeah that makes sense I, just, I I was always wondering what, what these sources looked like for you and what you found most valuable to uh, give the perspectives you wanted to and the points to make you wanted to.
0: It's just, I mean, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot, yeah. a lot of reading. You do so um, much reading on
2: yeah. as it is.
0: If you go to our Instagram page, I think the first picture that we put up was our work cited. I said R I really should have just said my because those were just the books that I read wow. not, not that was those were not the books that Kevin read Kevin read some of them but he also read a ton of books on his own so I don't know for me I just I benefit a lot more from books like I retain more I can highlight them as much as I want put in my annotations refer back to them as I'm writing scripts and stuff like that I just don't get as much out of videos and documentaries I think they add something to it and I still consume them but I think the books are where you get a lot of the stuff and like a lot of the quotes and I'm always jealous of Dan because he always manages to find really good ones where it's like man like I wish I could find ones that are that are that spot on with what I'm doing you know I just got to get better at at, at digging
2: he tends to seem to try to find historians who are pretty well versed in a specific uh, historical period or group or whatnot and Kind of latch on to them for some basic stuff, and then go for the primary sources, quotes, and those types of things to get that micro. After they he gets the macro from these historians, he often quotes the historians, which because he always says himself he's not a historian, so it's yeah, good, he, but he stresses that all the right, time. Right, but it seems like you're kind of a historian. Yeah, <laughs> I know, but I know what he's saying,
0: and I think a lot of the historians that aren't crazy about him. Are probably just a little bit jealous that they can't be compelling enough to get people drummed up and excited enough to, to read their dissertations and journals that just disappear.
2: Yeah, yeah that's into oblivion. oblivion.
0: But it's also different mediums, I suppose. And he also is doing it to a certain extent to entertain and in order to drill really deep into things that, that perplex him.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a textbook podcast,
0: he, that's not his intention. But if I was a history teacher i would I would definitely use it, yeah, it should use excerpts from it yeah i would i love it <laughs> I mean there's even this this i don't know if you all have listened to a podcast called lore nope, but no. that one's really interesting this guy Aaron Mankey, he digs into folklore from around the world about all all kinds That's of different things and like I, I might use that when I teach about folklore. Yeah, just play an episode of that. It's got the nice ambient ambient music. I, I use it to fall asleep because um, there's usually okay. like a few good stories, and then the music just lulls me to sleep. But it's really, really interesting. Makes me think
2: of, uh, you know, how you know, Germanic folklore is so dark and, and messed up. Have some wild, just crazy like monsters, and you have Krampus and all that stuff. Just yeah, wonder how Krampus. much? Of, yeah, how much of that is influenced by this? You know these viking myth legends the pagan type cultures and and all that
0: Mm -hmm. that means to go off what you're saying i mean there are people today who still believe in in odin and thor and all that stuff outside of the marvel cinematic universe of course
2: might be a good option
0: to go swerve into that religion yeah why not (laughs) (laughs) i don't know man i I don't know if i I don't know i don't know if i'd be happy spending the rest of my life just uh killing people eating waking up killing people eating (laughs) i like the eating part yeah there's something romantic about it all right so kevin and i usually wrap up the podcast by recommending books so i figure since we got two of you guys here i'd be interested to hear what both of you were reading because the listeners are starting to get acquainted with kevin and i's taste in books so uh chris did you want to start what are you reading these days Oh man, it's
2: so tough for me to find time to read, but you know, you know me, I'm, I'm all into, a struggle, the, yeah. I'm, I'm into the art. Like that's what I spend my free time with. But, uh, for Christmas, I got a, uh, botanical illustration book, the Q book of botanical illustration, uh, mostly with watercolor. So I'm hoping to really try to get some, uh, realistic looking flowers and, uh, plant drawings out of this and, uh, get some tips from it really has some nice process stuff and techniques and, uh, Gives you some materials that maybe I should probably probably get to help. And uh yeah, so I'm I'm parsing my way through it. I mean, I, I think the last time you had me on, I still I I'm still working through a book that I mentioned there, so I, I won't even mention that one. But yeah, it's it's hard for me to time find time to read, but I got this botanical illustration book and I am uh I'm enjoying parsing through it.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and it was it was awesome too, because we're actually we're at your place recording this and um I got to Holding my hands, which I think was the second time I was able to do this uh, piece of art that you made for us for our podcast for episode eleven. So, uh, listeners definitely look forward to that. We got some pretty badass artwork coming out, um, especially since you expanded from ink into watercolor and and um, have you started to use, use acrylics as well? Yeah. So, in some
2: of mine, I've started actually, dabbling. Yeah. So, with watercolor, you you have to build from light to dark, and you really can't highlight with watercolor with whites or yellows. So. On some of my paintings, you know, I've just been uh, doing some of the highlights with acrylics, like the whites, yellows, and oranges, and things like that, that uh, just won't come through with the watercolor. So, it, it is, it. the acrylic itself is a whole different game, and I'm just still learning so much with watercolor, I don't really feel like diving into a whole new uh, medium
1: yet.
0: right know. Mike, um, is there anything interesting that you're reading right now?
1: Like Chris, I always find it hard, well, people that don't read much say it's always hard to find time to read don't they? Yeah, i <laughs> which, say it's
0: fine hard to find time to read <laughs> which
1: uh which i'm definitely in that camp but i a couple months ago i did read a really interesting book called rise and fall of an american dynasty it's about the vanderbilts it was really fascinating i don't know a whole heck of a lot of cornelius vanderbilt but it went not so much through his life which i found interesting it was kind of you know the first quarter of the book had him in it, but it was more along the lines of after he passed away and how his heirs kind of dwindled that massive fortune. Um, It was fascinating. I really, I I would recommend it.
0: Do you remember who wrote that one? That sounds familiar. Um, You could
1: look it up. But um, yeah, it was, it was really good. And just also just the amount of money that was spent on frivolous things was, it was just insane. I mean, like I think, Equivalent, it was something like forty million dollars for a a party, like during the um, that era. I can't think of it.
0: Not the Gilded Age. Yeah, yeah, the Gilded Age. Oh, it is the Gilded Age. Okay, yeah.
1: It is by oh, it's actually by Anderson Cooper. Oh, okay. And Catherine howe Yeah, it was. It was very well done. Of course, because he's he's this is his mom, Gloria Vanderbilt, and I know he has Vanderbilt blood in it.
2: You know, Mike, I still haven't even finished a book you gave me a while ago. I still have a couple. That's also a great book
1: as well. It's um, the, uh, about the CIA and uh, yeah, it's about Doctor. Thomas, uh, said Doctor. Scott Gottlieb. He's a Sydney S- Gottlieb. Sidney guy. Gottlieb. Yeah,
0: it was like MK Ultra and stuff yeah, like that. He was he oh, that stuff is yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah,
2: literally a trip. They would dose Johns with LSD. Oftentimes Auslan without the their window. consent, mostly yeah. 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 yeah.
1: They'd hire higher prostitutes and get. Guys, in and then essentially, you know, there was even that poor guy who killed to himself them. too. Oh yeah. yeah, as a result,
0: yeah. jumped yeah. out of a
2: window. Terrible. Supposedly, like Marilyn Manson was involved in, in that whole thing, and
0: Marilyn Manson. Yeah, yeah. really,
2: yeah. really.
0: Yeah. Damn, I was looking at that one. That's crazy. All right, well, well awesome. I'll finish it eventually, Mike. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I need that book back.
0: All right, well, awesome guys. Thank you so much for coming on, oh, and nice. um.
1: thanks for having me. Hopefully, we'll hear from you
0: sooner than later. Hopefully, Dan will put out the next episode Ethel Dan uh, will come out with it Ethel another. Dan Yeah Ethel Dan let's hear from you um in a shorter mm-hmm. order this time I mean March 6th uh to January middle of January that was a it's a long wait Be more like the almost president's
2: podcast and put out a monthly one Dan
0: <laughs> Yeah I mean even even we got bothered by certain people I mean to come out uh weekly but it's
2: uh, we can't speed tough. it up. No, we can't it's speed tough. it up because I can't crank out art quick enough. You know,
0: I'm, That's the thing. One yeah, of we, those a we, month, especially
2: with yeah. – like I'm kind of doing bigger ones. It's tough. We yeah. can't
0: turn this apartment into an art sweatshop. No. We cannot do that.
2: No. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, bud.
0: Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thank you. It's great having you guys. And uh, listeners, you'll hear from us early February with the next installment in the Bobby Kennedy series, which we are almost finished with. And then we'll have a brief hiatus and we'll be back for season two which is crazy to think about. But uh all right. Woo-hoo. We will we will talk to you then. Before you head out, feel free to subscribe and rate us, leave a friendly comment on the way out. It really helps the podcast when you do. And if you enjoy what we're doing, you can find our Twitter or Instagram in the description below. We'll keep you updated about the show and we'll also fill your feed with plenty of good old-fashioned memes. Follow us on Facebook as well if you're a Facebook person. Just type The Almost Presidents Podcast into that search bar. And lastly, you can write into the show. Our Gmail is podcast at gmail.com, which you can also find in the description.